The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to the crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's um, strange how often the most important events in history, or in our lives for that matter, pass by very quickly or are mentioned only briefly. For instance, the crucifixion. In the Gospels, there are only one phrase, not even a complete sentence. St. Matthew says, and when they crucified him. Mark, they crucified him. Luke, there they crucified him. The same thing in St. John, there they crucified him. That's all. No description, no commentary. It's a very simple statement of fact. The Eucharist? the Gospels of St. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one paragraph, a few words, no commentary, no reflection. 
except in the Gospel of St. John, as you know. He doesn't mention the Eucharist at all at the Last Supper because he devotes an entire chapter of it in his Gospel, the sixth chapter we've been hearing for the last several weeks. An entire chapter, remember, because his was the last Gospel written, and even then people were having difficulty accepting the fact that the Lord had actually given them his body and blood, even in the early church. As I mentioned last week, that was probably the breaking point for Judas. Because our Lord says so at the very end of this. We don't have it, remember? He said, And did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. And the gospel goes on to say, He was speaking of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. He it was, one of the twelve, who would betray him. Well, our Lord insists upon this in this gospel. They don't want to listen. They can't accept it. But again and again, he says, unless you eat the flesh, and by the way, the Greek word for eat is to grind between your teeth. It's not a vague word. It's a very dramatic, powerful word. And drink his blood, you do not have life in you. And he goes on and on, for my flesh is true food. How much more do you need? And my blood is true drink. How can you suggest it's a symbol? Why would we want it to be? Do we think God would do anything less? We would, but God won't. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died because they ate only natural food, whoever eats this bread will live forever. As I said last week, for 1,500 years there was no doubt whatsoever, even in the East, when the East split from the West and the Eastern schism, still the Orthodox did and still do believe in the reality of the Eucharist as the very center of our faith, the greatest gift that God has given to us. So much so that in governments that are hostile to the Church, such as previously in Eastern Europe, in all communist countries, Soviet Union, China, if they want to destroy the Church, they want to destroy the Eucharist, which means, I once asked our high school students, uh, pre post-confirmation, I said, if the demonic is going to attack the Church, where do you think it's going to start? And one of them correctly answered by saying, the shepherds. So exactly. They want to destroy the clergy, particularly the priesthood. They can destroy that, They can destroy the church. They think. They can't, but they think. That's where they begin. They figure no priesthood, no Eucharist, no church. That's true, except it never happens and never will. But we want to turn that around, too, with the Eucharist and with the church. Let's suppose that the demonic wants to destroy the church, and it always does, from within. Where do you think he's going to start? with the shepherds and he will from time to time be successful as we have seen in history and we are seeing to some extent now begin with the priesthood you know I don't remember how many priests died in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany it's in the thousands 
or in the gulag in the Soviet Union or Eastern Europe. Again, many thousands. No one will remember their names, or I suppose care very much. That's a long time ago. But in our own day and age, we see that too, that the Eucharist is always going to be the center of the church, and it's something that must be guarded and cherished as the greatest of all gifts. And so the priesthood, then, is what makes that possible. And I don't intend to go on at great length, but I have to mention this just because of the events of the previous week. You know, when the demonic is successful regarding the clergy, they only mention us for some reason, even though compared to our counterparts, we're squeaky clean, but they mention us. That's enough. Uh, There's only one thing to be done, and that is not to ignore it, but to deal with it swiftly and directly. In such a case, whatever it may be, if someone is guilty, if they should be removed and isolated for the rest of their lives. Uh, I was saying to somebody just the other day, who do you think most wants to get a bad cop off the streets? The good cops. For their sake, as well as for the sake of the people. So we've gone through a rather dim time with these reports from Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how to look at them. I know what to think of them, but we must deal very directly with that. In our own diocese, we have a committee that does that, a committee of eight, five lay people and three priests, including the vicar general. I am on it. So is Larry Bass. He's been on it since the beginning. I've been on it since... 2002, three, 2003, I think. Uh, Bishop Gosman put me on it because he thought that, that I, in this case, would be cynical. Uh, I think I was complimented that uh, I wouldn't let anything get by me. And happily, most of the time we meet, we have nothing to do. On rare occasions, we do. We have to determine guilt and the effects of it, the punishment, so to speak. Again, happily, it doesn't happen very often. But it will happen. As I said, when the demonic wants to attack the church from within, that's where she begins. Remember what Bishop Sheen said? I've said this several times. When the church is holy, the attacks come from without. When she is not holy, the attacks come from within. Read sometime the history of Cardinal Menzenti. He was a household word 50 years ago. Not anymore. He was the Archbishop of Budapest in Hungary. He was arrested by the communists after they took over in the 50s, imprisoned, tortured, and made to admit to all kinds of things under drugs that he never did. The same thing happened with another Archbishop whose name escapes me because of S uh, in Yugoslavia under Tito. Uh, So we are living through some difficult times. But we must rise above it. Remember something else Bishop Sheen once said, 
he likes saying this to priests, by the way, dead bodies float downstream. It takes a live body to resist the current. And you and I must now be live bodies. That's what the church needs today to strengthen her. You know, the church is constantly being purified, always. It never stops. If it does, something's wrong. You and I are always being purified, too, or we should be. The saints will tell you that. But they're always being purified. So the church must do that. And now, in a particular way, there has to be a very dramatic cleansing. And it will be done, and the church will go on, as she does through history. You and I, then, are the instruments of that. And you and I are going to be visible signs of the church's health. We pray that the church will become healthy and strong. Uh, That would, again, come because of our devotion to the Eucharist. When the Eucharist begins to be ignored, everything begins to fall apart. And as something else Bishop Sheen once said back in the 70s, he said, we are going through a period of de-Eucharistization where the Eucharist is being ignored. Um, We've lost a sense of it. And I will bet that in the case of every every single priest who may go bad, that that's somewhere going to be at the very center of it. We have to deal with that, too. Not just a matter of removing people, it's a matter of focusing once again on where we ought to be. So, the good news is, if I may allow for some good news without sounding defensive, that we are still, by the way, according to the statistics, uh, I like statistics, aren't they? They can be used any way you want to use them. And I once mentioned that quote of G.K. Chesterton I will mention again when he said, some people use statistics the way drunks use lampposts, uh, <laughs> more for support than illumination. And tell us that we, the clergy, and our institutions, especially our schools, are the squeakiest clean in the country. Fine. Is that a big help regarding the present information that we've received? No. But yes, it is. Uh, we won't let ourselves be so destroyed by what has happened that we will forget where we're going and what we're doing. The the object now is not to collapse, it's to move forward. Which brings me to one final thought by Hilaire Belloc. Hilaire Belloc didn't have a whole lot of time for the administration of the church. He was really one of these, uh, as his last name would suggest, a warlike Catholic when it came to the church. And um, he, he, he once remarked, I'm not sure I particularly agree with him on this. He said, when you remember how the church has been governed and by whom, you realize that it's only through divine inspiration that she survived at all. Uh, Well, I think some of us are better than that, actually. Uh, But he said something else that's far more important for us to remember today uh, regarding what the church ought to be. He said... The church is a perpetually defeated thing which always survives her, her conquerors. An important thought. The church is a perpetually defeated thing that always survives her conquerors. She has then. She will now. The question is, will we be part of the victory or part of the defeat? I think we'll be part of the victory. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you as the people redeemed by the blood of your Son and trusting in your love and mercy. For the Church throughout the world, that her members will always be visible signs of the Eucharist they receive. 
the Church in our own country, that she will experience healing and be strengthened for those who have suffered from scandal and those who have caused it, and for the healing of any victims, for their help and for their rehabilitation. We pray to the Lord. For all nations of the world, especially our own, that they may come to know Jesus Christ present in their midst, we pray to the Lord. For all those who are sick and suffering, for those who bear the cross of Christ in any way, they may know that they may find their greatest consolation in the body and blood of the Lord. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have left the Eucharist, we pray to the Lord. For the legal protection of the unborn, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life, those young men and women who are responding to the Eucharist that they receive will be truly visible, courageous signs of Jesus Christ. And for that presence, visibility in the sacrament of marriage and in the single life, we pray to the Lord. For the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for all who have died on the battlefield, for all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. For the priests of our own diocese, that they may be strengthened and encouraged in their vocation during this time. And for our seminarians, that they may realize the importance of a holy priesthood, we pray to the Lord. Lord for all of us here, that as we are present to the Eucharist and as we receive the Eucharist, we may become different people, and the world will see in us the hope for which it seeks, we pray to the Lord. We now join our prayers to those of the Mother of the Eucharist as we sing. People may say to you, did your priest say anything official this week? I will say something official. Any priest who commits an act that is serious against a minor, if there is a semblance of truth, should be removed. If he is guilty, he should be judged by civil law. If civil law cannot judge him, church law certainly can, and he should be judged by that. At the same time, we should do everything we can to provide help for the victims. Um, meanwhile, the Diocese of Raleigh uh, is doing what it should have been doing for years, and we are a very healthy diocese. Uh, 